Hello and welcome to another episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing sacred and powerful stories of women who have too often gone unheard, but are most often the ones we need to be listening to. Andrea, or Andrea, and I'm joining you from Kansas City, Missouri, on the native lands of the Ka and Kickapoo Nations. If you want to know whose indigenous lands you are on, and if you haven't done so, please go to native-land.ca. For today's episode, I'm joined by the phenomenal Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis. As you'll hear in our conversation, Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis uses her gifts as an author, activist, preacher, and public theologian for creating an anti-racist, just, gun violence-free, fully welcoming, gender-affirming society in which everyone has enough. Reverend Dr. Jackie has quite the resume, but here is just a brief overview. A senior minister at Middle Collegiate Church in New York, she preaches fierce love throughout the year. She's the first African-American and first woman to serve as a senior minister at the Collegiate Church, which was founded in New York City in 1628 and is the oldest continuous Protestant church in North America. A womanist theologian, Jackie has preached at the Festival of Homiletics, the Wild Goose Festival, the Children's Defense Fund, and was a featured speaker on the Together National Tour with best-selling author Glennon Doyle. And close to my heart, she was a speaker last year at Nevertheless She Preached. She has been featured on the Today Show, ABC, NBC, PBS, CBS, and her writing has appeared in Harper's Bazaar, USA Today, Vox, The Huffington Post, and more. Wow, didn't I tell you she had the resume? Her newest book, Fierce Love, A Bold Path of Ferocious Courage and Rule-Breaking Kindness That Can Heal the World, was released in 2021 and is the subject of much of our conversation. Her book is inspired by the Ubuntu philosophy, I am who I am because we are who we are, showing the connectedness in all of us. In our conversation, we dive deeper into this concept as Dr. Lewis shares practices in her story that are necessary for transforming our lives, our communities, and our worlds at large. Her fierce love is truly a manifesto for all generations in a time that we need it most to heal this fractured world. Welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. It has been, this conversation has been a long time coming with different life things popping up for both of us. So I'm just so glad to join you in this this sacred space today. Me too, Andrea. Thank you so much. Now, all the people who say Andrea, Andrea, all the ones, how do you say it so our audience says it the right way? (laughs) So I I will go by either, but I know that's not what people want to hear. I have some very dear friends that call me Andrea, and I think that's beautiful. And growing up, it was Andrea. However, I think Andrea is actually be more beautiful, but however you want to say it. I think I want to call you by your most beautiful name that you like. And it sounds like it's Andrea. And that's what I would say. That is perfect. Thank you for asking. And you have a long title that will go by Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis, because you have quite the bio and you wear so, so many hats. And usually I have my guests just give their own introduction, but I want to read a first line of yours because... It, a little bit took my breath away because I'm like, this is the world that she's trying to create and that we are, we can just imagine for our future when we think like a really hope-filled, hope-filled vision. It says the Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis uses her gifts as author, activist, 
preacher, and public theologian for creating an anti-racist, just, gun violence-free, fully welcoming, welcoming, gender-affirming society in which everyone has enough. I would, I would add now, pro all the people and not, not xenophobic, right? Like there's, there's so much stuff happening in the yeah. world, and I, I do feel like that's my mission statement in a way. But please just call me Jackie. Um, okay. But I feel like that's part of why I'm on the planet is to work on creating a flourishing world in which all of us matter and get to, you know, curate joy and safety. Why isn't that okay, Andrea? Right? Why isn't that just the way it should be? Why are we all not on that same page? And it's, you know, like we just talked your book, which we're going to talk a lot about today that ties directly to that mission, to your life mission, which is fierce love, a bold path to ferocious courage and rule-breaking kindness that can heal the world. And unfortunately, no, not everyone is on that path. But like you said, you wrote this book almost two years ago, two year anniversary. And I, in your, in your book, in your book, you talk about like, uh, these are like really, you know, turbulent times, important times. And that was coming off of the pandemic. And here we are two years later that, my God, it almost feels, I don't want to say worse because that sounds so negative, but it almost seems more tumultuous and more divisive. And I'm curious how, are you losing hope? And how do you keep your hope with that? When that being your mission and then two years later after your book and here we are, how do you keep the hope? I'm not losing hope, but I'm, a, I'm, not, I'm an optimistic realist, right? These are really rough times. And in a way, Andrea, I think the reason that it feels so hard is, is because it is so hard. And the reason it is so hard is because systems are shifting and changing and systems don't like to shift and change. So in some ways, the systems, the oppressive systems, patriarchy and xenophobia, anti-Semitism, anti-Black, anti-Asian, anti-Hispanic racism, misogyny, um, anti-queer sentiments, anti-Earth, you know, anti-science, anti-logic, to me feels like death throes of systems. The system's like, we will not be defeated. We are going to stay entrenched in our biases. And so there's a flailing about uh, revving up of rhetoric and politic and behavior that is really, gosh, I wonder if we could look at it as um, there's some success that has happened to make the systems be so stanky and so hard that they feel, the systems themselves feel uh, a threat for justice is coming you know, flourishing is coming, peace is coming, love is coming. And um, like uh, in a horror movie, or even like The Wizard of Oz, when the water gets on the witch, the people find the way out of the disaster. I think that there's a reaction in the universe toward stasis. We are on the move, this movement for love and justice, and it is growing momentum and Something like January 6th and something like what's happening right now is, I think, an attempt to thwart the progress of progressive living. Yeah. Mm. I, I love looking at it through that lens, and I hadn't thought so deeply about that. And you have a line in your book 
um, when you're talking about like all the fires in your own life, so many significant events. And you said, Mm -hmm. I learned from those fires that liberation comes when you lose everything that the opportunity to begin again is true freedom. So that just so reminds me of what you're saying right now, that burning these systems down is, it's chaos and painful and hard. And so perhaps that new world is coming through all this burning down and cracking of the old. I hope so. I I remember that line and it makes me, I'm I'm thinking about a book now called Fierce Freedom. I do think that there is a, there's a liberation, Andrea, that happens when we feel as though there's nothing to lose or there's nothing more to lose. And all we've got is our humanity and all we've got is each other. So we think about, think about New Orleans, you know, after Katrina and just the broken levees and just the flooding waters and washing out of so many people, especially in the Lower Ninth Ward. How, having lost, you know, everything, we knew people who waded into those fetid waters, those disgusting waters, to save somebody else, you know. Um, when we find ourselves under the rubble and we'll even use our hands to dig in there and find out if there's life left, I think the catastrophic sense of loss can be the beginning of a fierce kind of freedom that says, I'm going to do what I can do, need to do, must do to make things better. Because, I mean, why not? You have nothing nothing else to lose type of feeling. So I want to circle back around and we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that, but I don't want to go too far down that road yet. Cause I want to circle around a little bit to your, to your own personal story. I'm curious as we dive into this fierce love and how we really embody it now in this time of war and hate, when did you, mm-hmm. and you share the things I ask you, some of them you share in your book, and we're going to just touch on a few things of your book. Um, but I can't encourage folks enough to buy your book, especially for right now, for these times, because fierce love, I think is, is the answer. So when did you feel like this calling to be a fierce love warrior? And does that align with your like calling to be a pastor? Are they one in the same? Maybe share a little bit of that before we go into like what this fierce love looks like such a good question. I think when I was about, when I was almost eight, seven and a half, eight or something, I, you know, I, I fell in love with God. Let me just put it that way. You know, I, I had a, at that point in time, it was me and my sister and a younger brother, two more brothers came along and our half brother came and joined our family and we became six. At that time, there's, you know, three of us, maybe three and a half. And um, I remember sitting in church with my mom and I was going to get to take communion and I was a kind of precocious kid. And if, as long as you understood what was happening, you could do it. But it felt like such a big girl ritual, Andrea, to have this Eucharist or communion, which is a little bit of a Seder, our Jewish friends, you know, it's like a little bread and, you know, bread and bread and cup share. And she, she said, when the bread came by, you know, this bread means God will always love you. And when the little cup came by, this cup means God will never leave you. Now I was seven, eight. And when you're that little, your parents are idealized and every, everything's perfect. And, you know, but as we grow up, uh, we look at our parents and see them, you know, through the eyes of reality. And 
you know, my family wasn't perfect, right? My, my parents weren't perfect. Their love was fierce, though. Their love was fierce and protective and stern sometimes. So I'm going to say psychologically, the, the God I fell in love with was the best of mom characteristics and the best of dad characteristics. A strong, powerful, gentle, nurturing God. And at some point in time, Andrea, as a young woman, I was like, what is what is with God? What is happening? I had this really devastating car accident. And I was like, did, did you do that to me, God? Because you thought I was bad. You know, I, I didn't have a sophisticated theology about, about God. And I think most of us have a theology about God that is of the world. Like there's good, there's bad, there's evil, there's punishment, reward type of God. And I almost broke up with that God. You know, I have been so good, I thought. Why would you let that happen to me? Why would you let that Carson happen to me, God? Why would you let that fire happen to me? So the fierce love journey I went on was it was in search of a God I could love. I'll put it that way. Like in search of a God I could keep loving. And so I I dismantled some religious stuff and really found my way into talking about God as love. It's scriptural is biblical. To, so yes, to be a fierce love warrior is to be a pastor, is to be a good nana, <laughs> to be a good daughter, to say that love is the ethic by which I'll live my life, not necessarily religious boundaries of who's in and who's out, you know, not necessarily creeds, but the heartbeat of love that is in the universe that is across our religions. I think really love is all we need. Yeah. And it's not a, it's not a wimpy love, it's not a romantic love, it's fierce, interconnected, you're my people, your people are my people. Maybe indigenous aboriginal kind of love that says I am who I am because you are who you are. And if that's true then I can't be fully who I am till you're fully who you are, Dr. King said, and you complete me, Jerry Maguire said. So it rewires how we move in the world as though my decisions impact your life because they do. So the term that you're talking about, we're going to get into, but before I do, I want to just thank you for that beautiful explanation, because although you are a Christian, you identify as a Christian pastor, Mm -hmm. not all listeners may be Christian. And I personally no longer identify as a Christian, but the love I think unites us across all religions, all faiths. And I was listening to a podcast of yours where you were talking with a Jewish rabbi and it was like, we have this commonality of that, of the love, no matter what faith or spirituality you're following it following love is the common denominator. And so that's why this message that you have is so, so powerful. I hope so, Andre, because we're, we're kind of in trouble, right? And my heart especially breaks when in the name of religion, when in the name of religion, we do violence, murder, you know, withholding what each other needs. In fact, just to say, because, you know, I'm a Christian who's a universalist who believes there's more than one path to God or that all paths lead to God, even atheism, because God is love, right? But in the Sikh faith, it says, don't do anything to break anyone's heart. In the, in the, in Islam, it says, don't withhold from anyone that what you need for yourself. Don't withhold from anyone what you need for yourself. In, in Judaism, it says, you shall love the stranger like 37 times, or you shall uh, be kind to the stranger because you were once strangers in a strange land. Christianity, you know, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. 
Love God, right. love neighbor, love self. These are like, and it's in the ones we didn't quote. It's in Zoroastrianism. It's in Jainism. You know, it's in Buddhism. It, it goes in... back to even paganism. I mean, all of the, you know, the all of them. I mean, it all really is their minimum. So I, and I wanted to set that up because I know so many of my listeners have come from like leaving the faith or being hurt by the faith. And it's like, this, I feel like is a message for every. Body. And so sometimes that term Christian can make people like, eh, I don't want to, I mean, that's part of my own story. So that's why I want to, um, and I know you as well, heart healing from yes, yes, yes. toxic theology that has been so harmful. So taking it back to love and as you were describing, um, you know, Dr. King and this love that unites us. And so that is like a lot of the basis for your book, this term. Yes. And I hope I say it right. Ubuntu, Ubuntu, yeah, Ubuntu. Ubuntu. Okay, yeah. so that's the love we're talking about, and it's really channeling this ancient wisdom. And your book goes so beautifully into that because that is the driving force behind this love. So, can you talk just a little bit into that that word and that term and how you first discovered and embraced it? Yeah, well, thank you. You know, if your listeners go, um, if you Google Ubuntu, what might come up before this philosophy I'm talking about is some like systems conversation, you know, like networking and, um, you know, uh, technical systems because it is about connectivity. And so I'm, I'm fascinated by, by that. Um, I actually think I first came across the term in a, in a leadership book. It might've been the fifth discipline, I think. And I was like, what is that? And it was, just, they were teaching folks how to motivate their, uh, staff, their colleagues, et cetera, right? Um, so before before religion in Africa, in South Africa, before the desert was a desert, it was a wet plain. I like to imagine human beings becoming human on the wet plain <laughs> and they're slithering and then they decide to get on four legs and then two reach up into the sky and they become a human community understanding that they needed each other you know that there was a division of labor if you will a division of love who's going to care for the kids who's going to cook food who's going to hunt and gather i like to imagine the men cooking and the women hunting and gathering uh, but there we were all learning how to be human and this southern african philosophy of ubuntu develops ubuntu and ubuntu and Gabantu. Gamuntu and Gabuntu and Gabatu. A human is a human through other humans. All these different South African dialects, Andrea, have that some kind of way. Lots of them are clicking when they're talking. But a human is a human through other humans. I'm not human by myself. I'm a human through other humans. And when they greet each other, they say Salbona, which means I see you. And then their response is Sincona, I exist. So Salbona is I see you. And Sincona is, I exist, like, I'm not here until you notice me. What you observe about me makes me real, like the, vel like the velveteen rabbit or, you know, there's this kind of, like, dynamic of uh, charity and connectivity. As I said, King said, I can't be who I am until you're fully who you are. Um, I am my neighbor's keeper, in other words. I am responsible for the kid that's still thirsty in Flint, Michigan, because the water's not clean and responsible for the babies dying in Gaza and the ones in Jerusalem and the ones in Sudan or Congo or Haiti or Chicago, right? I'm responsible for all those kids 
because they're my people and you're my people, Andrea. Mm -hmm. If we are each other's people, then we want what's best for each other as we want it for ourselves. That's everything to me. That's it in a nutshell. And it is a simple but profound practice to move deliberately as though your life impacts the life of another because it actually really does. How we consume, what we eat, where we live, how we shop, where we raise our kids, the things we consume in the media, what we say out out loud, all of those things are not just about us. They have an impact on everyone. And it really is going back to those old, old earth spirituality religions of being just so this interconnectedness between all of us and Mother Earth. And I it's 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 beautiful. And you it's it's, it's beautiful, right? Yeah. And you, I mean, I, I followed you for, for a while and listened to your sermons, heard you at Nevertheless She Preached. I mean, you, I feel like, are the walking embodiment of this. And I know that you have your ups and downs also, and it is a, your life's work. And you've worked really hard to embody this and be this example. And your book so beautifully lays out nine principles of, of being able to walk this. And we're not going to have time to go through all of those. That's why people need to read your book. But divide it into three chunks of embodying this in you yourself in your posse and the world and I want to talk about a couple of these aspects just what time allows definitely want to talk about it in the world because right now this is needed but I want to start embodying it within within ourselves because this ancient wisdom says that the world won't get better until we each get better individually and I think I've seen it in my own story. Like that's so important as I have healed. I have now become wanted to become a liberator and an ally and all these things for others, because again, I see this connection. So part of this embodying fierce love begins with loving ourselves and doing that work you say requires us to look closely at our own individual stories. And this as a storyteller and somebody that's passionate about stories, I'm like, Oh, I love that she started (laughs) with this and the importance of our own stories. And you get really vulnerable talking about your story. You say it takes courage to peer into our stories and see what is there peering into and healing our own childhood. And in your own childhood, you had stories of racism, shame, purity, culture, so not wanting you to have to dredge up all of those, but maybe just speak into that, how that looks in your own story of, in particular, of like, I needed to heal X, Y, Z before I could even love, right. you know, this, this fierce love could come out through others. So if you don't mind just sharing a part of your story that that really applied to. Yeah, I think that's, you know, one of my brothers read my book last year. He, he said, it took me a year to read this book. Girl, you just. Told, pour some tea. Like I, I was really as honest as I could be without, you know, breaking up with everybody about my story. It's my story, right? It's not my sibling stories. Or, but in my story, as a kind of oldest girl, child, oldest child until my brother came when I was five and a half, six. So for a long time, a sense of like responsibility for everybody and in a way, not for me. I say that I was driven by be good, you know, like a way to manage being in a in, in a chaotic world, Donald Winnicott, one of my favorite psychologists, talks about the kind of environment you're in or the holding environment you're in. Like America is not a good holding environment, Audrey. Like for not for you, not for me, not for most of us. So you have a kind of container that is the the nation. My mom and dad are black people from Mississippi, born in the Depression, you know, raised in Jim Crow. Like they are traumatized people. 
whose mothers loved the hell out of them, but could not shield them from all of that stuff. So traumatized people get married, love each other, raise kids in an ongoing traumatic environment of, you know, police violence and, you know, poverty and all kinds of stuff. They put a shelter around us in lots of ways, but it's in you, the thing that's in your parents. And I think my coping mechanism was like, I'm going to be just really super good. It's going to be good. Uh, and the, and mobilizing the goodness often meant mobilizing a mask, you know, a mask and a cape. Supergirl, who, you know, was afraid of a lot of things and had, had did bravado and definitely took in the church's message of what girls, good girls don't do. So I was like a flat chested, you know, <laughs> like a flat chested 22 year old when I had sex for the first time. And I'm like, what is this? I don't even know what I'm doing. And then and felt just, such shame, I'm sure, about that from the church. Oh my I God, mean, so much shame about that. And, <laughs> and, and connected to, you know, having uh, had sexual abuse on my child, which was sadly is not a unique story. But it's like, what did I do to do that? And then I have the sex before I get married. Two weeks before the wedding, Andrea, I have sex with my fiance and I have this devastating car accident. And I'm convinced that I did that. I did. I caused the car accident by not being a virgin when I got married. Mm. Right. So what happened over time, I let the false self die. I like fake Jackie, goody two shoes mask wearing, cape having, perfect kiddo. I had to let her go because she's not real. And I had some fantastic therapy when I lived in California that just put me on a path to being more authentic, to getting the parenting I needed from my parents so that I could grow up that kid Jackie. Do you know that kid Jackie needed some more parenting and I grew her up by asking my parents to be more parental in a way is I would say it's a a 30 year journey, Andrea, to be honest, and which I hope doesn't make people feel hopeless because all that time you're still having fun and learning about your life and, you know, living and making a difference in the world. But for, for that, for that false self Jackie to go away, she was almost gone when I was 45. <laughs> and then these last 15 years have been just joyful, uh, stretching your muscles, picking up new things, finding the love of my life, finding the church of my life, the vocation of my life, that I 100% am sure that would not have come to me if I hadn't gotten real. If I hadn't been become real, I wouldn't have John and grandbabies and a daughter and a son and a community that knows me and loves me because I know me and love me. Yes. Yeah. And it is a lifelong process. And it's like, as you're talking, I'm like, can you, can you do both? But I think you have to be that fierce love for your posse and the world as you continue to work on your own healing and self-love. I mean, I think it's, it's a never ending. So are there practices that you daily do to work on that self-love? Cause I think you even share in your book, like some days, it's up and down on my levels of self-love. And I feel like, especially as a woman and you as a black woman, like it's that intersectionality makes it even more challenging in this American white supremacist world that we're in. So how do you continue to fully live in and body and take that mask off every day? 
that, it all. That, that you, your question makes me write that. And then that's the second book, because it is really honestly uh, a, a, an everyday practice. So no. I think the first thing I would say, and this is the first chapter, is there's an intention. I am my best thing, you know, is what is what um, Shugay retells Seely in The Color Purple. You are your best thing. I, I am my best thing, you know, and I am so cranky, crazy, wild, woolly, prickly bits. When I say prickly bits, my granddaughter cracks up. I've got prickly bits uh, that you try to get your prickly bits in a smaller, from a suitcase to a you know backpack to a fanny pack size stuff because you do your work. But like, I love me. And it didn't, like, it didn't say it and it happened. Just to be honest with yourself, you know, look at the same story that was a traumatic story also is a story of resilience, right? The mm. same story of being a victim is a story of survival. Uh, the same story of making mistakes is like about growing strong. Um, how we look at ourselves is, uh, wires the tape we run for ourselves. And I'm, the tape was, you know, uh, you have an overbite and you have shortcomings and whatever that tape is. And now, you know, you have a unique smile and, you know, you've really fought your way to a, a good body weight that makes you feel good. And people don't like black people. Lots of people don't like black people, but you like black people. Remembering that my parents taught us that we were their children and that was the best identity we could have. So a, a kind of honest self-assessment, right? I've got questions in the book. You know, how did I get to be me? Pay attention to those mm-hmm. things and look at those stories for both the hard crap in the story, but also the juicy, delicious bit in the story. And you pay attention to the thing you pay attention to is the thing that grows. That's the truth. Yeah. The thing you pay attention to is the thing that grows. Yeah. I think secondly, to be really practical is like, also, you're responsible to do your work. Like, I'm, I, you know, a lot of us have had trauma. Who hasn't had trauma? And sometimes we think the trauma is our identity. So you drag that trauma around with you like a blanket or a weight. And like, I am my, I am my wounds. I am my trauma. Well, you're responsible to chip some of that off. Like you're just responsible to, uh, to let some of it go to downsize the baggage you carry because the truth sets you free. Like, here's what I did wrong. I'm going to apologize for that. I'm going to make amends for that. Here's how I was wrong. That sucks. I'm going to confront somebody if I need to. But like the the, the pure just work, like brushing your teeth, flossing your teeth, lifting weights, which I don't do enough of, but like that whole idea of just growing the muscle to let go of the crap so you can enjoy the rest of the life around it is just... It is a daily practice to let go. It is. It is. And as you mentioned, your book, you do, you give questions for people to ponder and write and really think about and to dive in into that theme of what does it look like for fierce love for yourself? Mm-hmm. So then moving on because of the sake of time, because I could keep talking about each one of these for a lot longer. So the fierce love within your posse, and I've been in my mind going back and forth. Do I even want to touch on this and just focus on the world? But I think it's important to touch upon because again, we are living in these divisive times. And mm. so many of our posses, especially those of us that have left like hurtful religions or conservative religions or come from families that are that this can be a real hard one. I mean, I know within my own story, that fierce love for our own posse when we've had to leave structures or when we have close family that don't align. So 
speak into that fierce love for for your posse. And maybe it's a matter of finding that posse that is to speak into yeah, that. I will be so happy to. I think loving loving our posse requires three things I've been really working on uh, in, in a couple of sermons. But one is candor. We, we've been taught, especially as girl children, Andrea, that to love someone is to never have issues with them. And to love someone is to be all accessible and all sunshine and light. But in truth, love, real love, real love requires candor. So I think if we are fiercely loving our posse, you know, I talk about going home to Thanksgiving with Uncle Bob. If you're fiercely loving your posse, then we don't allow table chatter to hurt us or hurt people we love or say things that are mean and stupid and ugly and be like, oh, that's just Uncle Bob. You know, we find a way to say, to candidly confront Uncle Bob, when I feel so upset when you talk like that about queer people, because I personally have two friends who have changed my, you know, whatever you say, mommy, when you tell those jokes from childhood, good God, are we back there? You know, how are you loving your people if you're not telling them the truth? Yes. You're not loving your people if you're not telling the truth. So tell them the truth. Tell them the truth and love. Candor and confrontation and conflict strengthens the muscles in a family, strengthens the muscles in a couple. Our most intimate relationships have to be built to support us. That's a surprise, I'll bet you, right? Like, it's like, oh, I love your posse and like everything goes. I'm not saying, I'm actually saying the love of the posse that starts with loving of you has some boundaries built in, some no built in, um, some shared um, covenant making. This is how we're going to be together or it's not love mm-hmm. those adult children are in the house not paying any bills and you're pissed so you're just so mad but you start acting like you love them that's not love love is baby i need you to job you know love is it's, it's redefining the love like you said like it's really yeah. hard to get out of our mind especially as women and the women that were like the good girls perfect girls right, right. The best girls in our families of like actually this fierce love that's the difference is not saying silence, speaking up when we hear statements or comments that are hurting people or that are outing people or that are hurting queer folks. or So that's what it's about. And that's what it comes down to within so. our assigned I bodies, so. I guess I would say. I think so. And, um, and the other piece of it is the other piece you would expect, which is, and like rule breaking kindness, you know, like um, also, the people, the found family, the creative family are, are going to sometimes need us to love outside of the bounds, right? Like this is a both and moment. You know, my dad died of ALS in uh, August and, you know, he was a good enough dad. He was a lovely dad in lots of ways. We also was stanky sometimes. And here he is sick enough that we all are doing personal care. If you know what I mean, personal, personal care. And the, the, the love of the, our that fierce love of our dad required us to get uncomfortable too. So it isn't just, it's about me. It's about me and this dynamic and making it safe for yourself. It is also that sometimes we get in an uncomfortable space. We go across the street to the boy with the dropped down pants. We don't clutch our bag when we feel nervous. We don't, we speak up for the, woman of the hijab, there's another piece of the fierce love that says, again, just like I want to be okay, I want you to be okay, and that might require sacrifice or hard work. 
or all of that's in the fierceness. And as part of that, also expanding that posse, who that is, and that does that come into play with love you, love yourself, love your neighbor, and who is our neighbor? And that's of thinking. You have a whole chapter in the book, thinking inclusively, like who is in that space? Yeah, Yeah. who have we not brought into that space? Your posse is your mom and your dad and your cousins and your uncles and your siblings, and your posse is your best friends and the and your you know. But your posse also is the neighbor across the street and around the globe, which is how we get to world. That we, That's right. we kind of gather that neighbor love into a global neighborhood, if you will. Now there's, there's some crapped up stuff happening in the global neighborhood right now, but we're called to love all those neighbors as well. So let's talk about those neighbors and the world neighbors in the last 10 minutes that we have, because this is, I think the present the present day that we're in, that is just so, I mean, even before what was happening in Gaza and Israel, I mean, we had Ukraine and Haiti and Sudan, like it, it continues to build, but where yeah. we're at now is, and I think you and I both align, like there's a genocide happening in Gaza at the moment. And it's somehow controversial to call for a ceasefire. I mean, I've seen your your posts and I've seen people calling you anti-Semitic on comments. And I'm just like, I'm sure you're not surprised. I am because I've seen the work you've done with the rabbis and the mom. Like you are so aligned with the Jewish community. And then I see folks calling you anti-Semitic because you're calling for a ceasefire. So how are you continuing? Like, I don't even know where to start with this. How are you operating with fierce love despite those comments, despite um, the hate that you're getting for it? Yeah, I think. I'm on my path, right? The, 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 the love of my, the love of the world, the fierce love of the world requires me to see. I love this quote from one of my favorite rabbis says, uh, a moral life is learning how to see. An ethical life is learning how to see. So I see Palestinian suffering in Gaza as the suffering of my cousins. And I saw the killing that Hamas did of those 1,400 people on that horrible day in October as the killing of my cousins. They're my cousins. They're all my cousins. I'm not going to pick sides on these cousins. Everybody deserves to be safe. And if you think I'm anti-Semitic, because I'm standing also with my Palestinian cousins, like they're all my cousins. Aren't they your cousins? They're your cousins. We're all inextricably connected. So who wants anyone to suffer? I want no one to suffer. I want there to be a homeland for Jews and a homeland for Palestinians. And I know that I don't know everything, but I know at the root of this non-having a land is white supremacist colonial ideologies that affect everybody. So here we are, the world watches as the Holocaust happens. The world doesn't want the Jews to come in to any place. And we end up creating a homeland in Israel for Jewish people in a land where already some Palestinians were, right? So it's, I'm not trying to oversimplify it. I'm trying to say, is there anything good that's going to come from continuing to bomb innocent children in Gaza? Not from my point of view. And that doesn't make me anti-Semitic. That makes me pro-love. That's right. So I'm just going to stay on my path. That's right. And I mean, I think you've been on this path and you're so sure of yourself and your fierce love. And I think that's what people like me can learn from, like watching how you embody it and you continue to keep 
to keep your eye on those who are suffering and marginalized. And like you just explained, both sides are your cousins. You're not saying one side or the other. You're really saying the ceasefire to end life. And so you brought up a little bit of history and we're not going to go into that. I mean, I do think it's so important for people to look at that history of Zionism and how that land became taken from the Palestinians. But it does go back. Like we're not, we're we're certainly looking at that history, we're not blaming Jewish people because it stems from white supremacy and nobody, and it stems from anti-Semitism, people not welcoming Jewish people in their country. So that's a whole history in itself. But I think if people learn that history, that takes away this blame on Jewish people for the state of Israel. You cannot blame Jewish people for the state of Israel anymore than you can blame, you know, Jackie and Andrea for the state of the United States. <laughs> like we didn't we didn't we all have a little piece to play in how we vote and the policies we ask for and da 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 da. But our governments are being run by fascists and they are and they are hurting all of us. And so I my prayers, my thoughts, my prayers, my hopes to all the Jewish people who've lost people, who are waiting on cousins and aunties to come home, sons, daughters, and also who just want peace in their land and to have time with their families and not have to run into bomb shelters. Prayers for all of that. And prayers for the aunties and uncles and grandmothers and grandsons in Gaza and the nurses and doctors who are trying to keep people alive and the people who are wounded and hurting and dying and all that have been lost. My prayers are for peace. My prayers are for peace. For shalom, shalom. So tell me, what does that look like? I mean, we want action steps. You know, we've heard thoughts and prayers aren't enough. So what's a step beyond that? And I'm not saying like negating the prayers, but beyond that is speaking up. Like how does embodying fierce love, what does that look like right now in the world, specifically maybe with the Palestine, with the Palestinians and Gaza? And is it, is it just speaking out? Is it vote like? I don't even say voting because who do you even vote for right now? It just, it can seem, this to me can seem a little bit like, I don't even know what to do or how to embody fierce love with this. And it is not easy. It is not straightforward, right? And so I would, I would say, you know, middlechurch.org and on my YouTube channel, we're trying to do something called listen, learn, and lean into peace. Just like tomorrow night, I'm going to be talking to Dr. Will Gaffney about Hebrew scriptures because she's an expert. My first conversation was with my rabbi friend, Josh Stanton. Second was with my friend, Linda Sarsour. Opposite Palestinian Jew, you know, listen, just listen, listen. Maybe read a whole post, you know, maybe maybe do some research. Read about Read about the history of the region. Uh, read about World War One and World War Two. Don't be a Holocaust denier. <laughs> um, ask yourself, what do they mean by occupation? Just read a, a yeah. series of articles that will open your heart because fierce love speaks the truth and you can't know the truth if you don't study. So I would say do that. I also think sometimes being quiet is okay. Like don't feel like you have to say something if you don't know what it is. And just uh, be still and, and listen. Don't flame the fuels of dissonance by saying something or sharing something that's mean. And by the way, don't be mean. That's the other part. You do not have to be mean because you disagree. Like, what in the hell? Don't call each other names on the thing. Don't do it. Just say, I don't understand that. Or here's a very beautiful sentence. I disagree. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's all. Mm-hmm. I disagree. You get to think your thoughts, but the way we are attacking each other because we disagree, it's just heartbreaking, right? Yeah. It's it another kind of war of words. It really is. And I mean, I can only imagine if we all would lean in with curiosity instead of the hate. And as you're talking, I mean, I think my sentiment is like, oh, it seems like helpless because I think I've I've not, I'm still not fully digesting what love can actually do. Because you imagine if, if each and every one of us were to start to embody this fierce love and actually look at humanity, all sides as our, as our cousins and our connectiveness, the systems would, would ripple and change. I think it also goes back to not minimizing what fierce love can do. It absolutely can make a difference. I mean, when you think about, it takes time, right, Andrea? The screw tape letters, uh, one of the young demons is trying to learn how to trick up the patients and the patients are the humans. And screw tape says, they don't understand that God has God's unbounded now to make it better. Like unbounded now is my takeaway here. So what, what is it that we know? We know that there are is a group called Combatants for Peace. My friend Gilly gets actor, photographer. Combatants for Peace. I mean, in Israel, Palestinian soldiers, Israeli soldiers working together on peace. Oh. We understand that there are mothers who are Israeli and Palestine working on peace. We understand that those doctors and nurses that are still in the hospital taking care of people are brave, 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 fierce love warriors working on peace. The Jewish people who are saying Jews for peace and being called anti-Semitic, though they're Jews, are brave as also. And also there are Palestinians who are like, stop, stop it. So over time, love wins. That's why you and I have the right to vote. That's why we get to marry who we want. Mm -hmm. That's why we get to do now what we want to do with our bodies in Ohio. That's why That's why I'm an African-American woman leading a church, a woman talking in church, a black woman leading a church, the first black woman since 1628 in my church. Because love does change things over time. Fierce love demands peace, demands justice. Paul has this wonderful first Corinthians, blah, blah, blah. Love is patient. Love is kind. Yeah, okay. Love does not insist on its own way. Yes, it does. Love insists on love. Fierce love insists on love. It's not violent, but it insists on love. It's not murderous, but it demands love. Love demands love. Mm. Dr. Reverend Jackie, thank you for this word. And I, we could keep going, but I think that's a powerful note to end on and for people to really digest. Your word has been so powerful today and it's been, it's been food for my soul too. Yes, this fierce love is, it's so much more impactful than even we're giving it than I can give it credit for. And just this reminder has been, it's been food for my soul. And I know will be for our listeners. And the goal is collective liberation. I mean, that is the goal it is collective liberation. And it's we're not free till everybody's free. That's exactly, exactly right. Tell us all the places that you can be found. Like you said, you are the pastor. And I kind of jumped in a little quick because I didn't talk about that you are the head pastor of Middle Church in New York. And I'll make sure to recruit, include all of this in your in the show notes for your bio and where you can be found. And it is yeah. phenomenal that you are the first black woman pastor at your church since 1628 when that church church was founded. And that in itself should give us all, should give us hope that change can happen. So tell us all the places that we can be, that you can be found. 
at at Rev Jackie Lewis and all the things, Twitter and Facebook and Insta, you know, however you do it, at Rev Jackie, J-A-C-Q-U-I Lewis. And middle is at Middle Church, middlechurch.org. There's only one. So if you Google us, you'll find us, uh, find resources there, amazing music, amazing community. And you can come to church every Sunday at 1145 Eastern Standard Time. And now at three o'clock uh, Eastern Standard Time, every Sunday. I have to tell you, I have to tell you, I haven't been or watched a church service for quite a while. And I watched the most recent one this Sunday and it was really beautiful. And I'm like, huh. Maybe I could walk my feet back in and um, <laughs> listen to a few sermons, a few sermons there. So yes, listeners that you can follow online on Facebook and YouTube and, and see and witness the services there. And all we're, all we're doing there is love period. Yeah. Everything yeah. else is commentary. So we're not going to try to like take your firstborn child or make you believe or say something you don't believe. Just come and let us love on you and love on us back. That'd be great. It really is. And I saw, I have to say real quick, I saw you with the children um, in the last (laughs) service. And it really made me tear up because I thought these children embody fierce love. Like, I feel like we're born with this fierce love and it's this world that, that takes it gradually away from us and it's like to go back to those i mean jesus talked about it bringing going back to the to the children that embody it so seeing you do that i was like that right there like that is the fierce love right in front of her those little babies and so your book fierce love can be found we'll put links to that can be found at all the major booksellers indie places and even the big box store of amazon um also it's an audio book and i'm reading it so you can listen to it oh it is okay yeah. Okay, that's good to know. And then the talks that you're doing, is that links on the Middle Church website? That's links on, that's on the website and on mine. Listen, learn, lean into peace. Uh, there's a series right. on, on my YouTube channel. Uh, but again, Jackie Lewis, at Rev Jackie Lewis, just like all of them there for you to listen to and think, oh, I hadn't thought about that. You know, that's that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Okay. And you also have a podcast. That, a podcast um, called we'll- Love period that the center for action and contemplation um produces okay and we'll put links to all of those things so people can hear more of you and really lean into embodying this fierce love because it's what what we need to heal the world so thank you again reverend dr jackie lewis for this hour of your time i am so grateful for you and your voice thank you andrea thank you so much for your patience and getting us talking to each other i'm delighted and wishing you every good thing, okay? All the good things. Awesome. You're great.